Section 14 of Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects by Hermann von Helmholtz. Chapter 5 On Thought in Medicine. Part 2. We have frequent opportunities of confirming these general rules in the schools of dogmatic deductive medicine. They turned their intolerance partly against each other, and partly against the eclectics, who found various explanations for various forms of disease. This method, which in its essence is completely justified, had, in the eyes of the systematists, the defect of being illogical. And yet the greatest physicians and observers, Hippocrates at the head, Arataeus, Galen, Sydenham, and Berhove, have become eclectics, or at any rate, very lax, systematists. About the time when we seniors commenced the study of medicine, it was still under the influence of the important discoveries which Albrecht von Haller had made on the excitability of nerves, and which he had placed in connection with the vitalistic theory of the nature of life. Haller had observed the excitability in the nerves and muscles of amputated members. The most surprising thing to him was that the most varied external actions, mechanical, chemical, thermal, to which electrical ones were subsequently added, had always the same result, namely, that they produced muscular contraction. They were only quantitatively distinguished as regards their action on the organism, that is, only by the strength of the excitation. He designated them by the common name of stimulus. He called the altered condition of the nerve the excitation, and its capacity of responding to a stimulus, the excitability, which was lost at death. This entire condition of things, which, physically speaking, asserts no more than that the nerves, as concerned the changes which take place in them after excitation, are in an exceedingly unstable state of equilibrium, this was looked upon as the fundamental property of animal life, and was unhesitatingly transferred to the other organs and tissues of the body, for which there was no similar justification. It was believed that none of them were active of themselves, but must receive an impulse by a stimulus from without. Air and nourishment were considered to be the normal stimuli. The kind of activity seemed, on the contrary, to be conditioned by the specific energy of the organ, under the influence of the vital force. Increase or diminution of the excitability was the category under which the whole of the acute diseases were referred and from which indications were taken as to whether the treatment should be lowering or stimulating. The rigid one-sidedness and the unrelenting logic with which Robert Brown had once worked out this system was broken, but it always furnished the leading points of view. The vital force had formerly lodged as ethereal spirit as a pneuma in the arteries. It had then, with Paracelsus, acquired the form of an archaeus, a kind of useful cobalt or indwelling alchemist, and had acquired its clearest scientific position as soul of life, anima insia, in Georg Ernst Stahl, who, in the first half of the last century, was professor of chemistry and pathology in Halle. Stahl had a clear and acute mind, which is informing and stimulating, from the way in which he states the proper question, even in those cases in which he decides against our present views. He it is who established the first comprehensive system of chemistry, that of phlogiston, 
if we translate his phlogiston into latent heat the theoretical basis of his system passed essentially into the system of lavoisier stahl did not then know oxygen which occasioned some false hypotheses for instance on the negative gravity of phlogiston stahl's soul of life is on the whole constructed on the pattern on which the pietistic communities of that period represented to themselves the sinful human soul it is subject to errors and passions to sloth fear impatience sorrow indiscretion despair the physician must first appease it or then incite it or punish it and compel it to repent and the way in which at the same time he established the necessity of the physical and vital actions was well thought out the soul of life governs the body and only acts by means of the physico-chemical forces of the substances assimilated but it has the power to bind and to loose these forces to allow them full play or to restrain them after death the restrained forces become free and evoke putrefaction and decomposition for the refutation of this hypothesis of binding and loosing it was necessary to discover the law of the conservation of force the second half of the previous century was too much possessed by the principles of rationalism to recognize openly stahl's soul of life it was presented more scientifically as vital force vis vitalis while in the main it retained its functions and under the name of nature's healing power it played a prominent part in the treatment of diseases the doctrine of vital force entered into the pathological system of changes in irritability the attempt was made to separate the direct actions of the virus which produced the disease in so far as they depended on the play of blind natural forces the symptomata morbi from those which brought on the reaction of vital force the symptomata reactionis the latter were principally seen in inflammation and in fever it was the function of the physician to observe the strength of this reaction and to stimulate or moderate it according to circumstances the treatment of fever seemed at that time to be the chief point to be that part of medicine which had a real scientific foundation in which the local treatment fell comparatively into the background the therapeutics of febrile diseases had thereby become very monotonous although the means indicated by theory were still abundantly used and especially bloodletting which since that time has almost been entirely abandoned therapeutics became still more impoverished as the younger and more critical generation grew up and tested the assumptions of that which was considered to be scientific among the younger generation were many who in despair as to their science had almost entirely given up therapeutics or on principle had grasped at an empiricism such as rademacher then taught which regarded any expectation of a scientific explanation as a vain hope what we learned at that time were only the ruins of the older dogmatism but their doubtful features soon manifested themselves the vitalistic physician considered that the essential part of the vital processes did not depend upon natural forces which doing their work with blind necessity and according to a fixed law determined the result what these forces could do appeared quite subordinate and scarcely worth a minute of study he thought that he had to deal with a soul-like being to which a thinker a philosopher and an intelligent man must be opposed may i elucidate this by a few outlines at this time auscultation and percussion of the organs of the chest were being regularly practised in the clinical wards 
but i have often heard it maintained that they were a coarse mechanical means of investigation which a physician with a clear mental vision did not need and it indeed lowered and debased the patient who was anyhow a human being by treating him as a machine to feel the pulse seemed the most direct method of learning the mode of action of the vital force and it was practised therefore as by far the most important means of investigation to count with a repeater was quite unusual but seemed to the old gentleman as a method not quite in good taste there was as yet no idea of measuring temperature in cases of disease in reference to the ophthalmoscope a celebrated surgical colleague said to me that he would never use the instrument it was too dangerous to admit crude light into diseased eyes another said the mirror might be useful for physicians with bad eyes his however were good and he did not need it a professor of physiology of that time celebrated for his literary activity and noted as an orator and intelligent man had a dispute on the images in the eye with his colleague the physicist the latter challenged the physiologist to visit him and witness the experiment the physiologist however refused his request with indignation alleging that a physiologist had nothing to do with experiments they were of no good but for the physicist another aged and learned professor of therapeutics who occupied himself much with the reorganization of the universities was urgent with me to divide physiology in order to restore the good old time that i myself should lecture on the really intellectual part and should hand over the lower experimental part to a colleague whom he regarded as good enough for the purpose he quite gave me up when i said that i myself considered experiments to be the true basis of science i mention these points which i myself have experienced to elucidate the feeling of the older schools and indeed of the most illustrious representatives of medical science in reference to the progressive set of ideas of the natural sciences in literature these ideas naturally found feebler expression for the old gentlemen were cautious and worldly wise you will understand how great a hindrance to progress such a feeling on the part of influential and respected men must have been the medical education of that time was based mainly on the study of books there were still lectures which were restricted to mere dictation for experiments and demonstrations in the laboratory the provision made was sometimes good and sometimes the reverse there were no physiological and physical laboratories in which the student himself might go to work liebig's great deed the foundation of the chemical laboratory was complete as far as chemistry was concerned but his example had not been imitated elsewhere yet medicine possessed in anatomical dissections a great means of education for independent observation which is wanting in the other faculties and to which i am disposed to attach great weight microscopic demonstrations were isolated and infrequent in the lectures microscopic instruments were costly and scarce i came into possession of one by having spent my autumn vacation in eighteen forty one in the charite prostrated by typhoid fever as pupil i was nursed without expense and on my recovery i found myself in possession of the savings of my small resources the instrument was not beautiful yet i was able to recognize by its means the prolongations of the ganglionic cells in the invertebrata which i described in my dissertation 
and to investigate the vibrions in my research on putrefaction and fermentation any of my fellow students who wished to make experiments had to do so at the cost of his pocket money one thing we learned thereby which the younger generation does not perhaps learn so well in the laboratories that is to consider in all directions the ways and means of attaining the end and to exhaust all possibilities in the consideration until a practicable path was found we had it is true an almost uncultivated field before us in which almost every stroke of the spade might produce remunerative results it was one man more especially who aroused our enthusiasm for work in the right direction that is johannes muller the physiologist in his theoretical views he favored the vitalistic hypothesis but in the most essential points he was a natural philosopher firm and immovable for him all theories were but hypotheses which had to be tested by facts and about which facts alone could decide even the views upon those points which most easily crystallize into dogmas on the mode of activity of the vital force and the activity of the conscious soul he tried continually to define more precisely to prove or to refute by means of facts and although the art of anatomical investigation was most familiar to him and he therefore recurred most willingly to this yet he worked himself into the chemical and physical methods which were more foreign to him he furnished the proof that fibrine is dissolved in blood he experimented on the propagation of sound in such mechanisms as are found in the drum of the ear he treated the action of the eye as an optician his most important performance for the physiology of the nervous system as well as for the theory of cognition was the actual definite establishment of the doctrine of the specific energies of the nerves in reference to the separation of the nerves of motor and sensible energy he showed how to make the experimental proof of bell's law of the roots of the spinal cord so as to be free from errors and in regard to the sensible energies he not only established the general law but carried out a great number of separate investigations to eliminate objections and to refute false indications and evasions that which hitherto had been imagined from the data of everyday experience and which had been sought to be expressed in a vague manner in which the true was mixed up with the false or which had just been established for individual branches such as by dr young for the theory of colors or by sir charles bell for the motor nerves that emerged from muller's hands in a state of classical perfection a scientific achievement whose value i am inclined to consider as equal to that of the discovery of the law of gravitation his scientific tendency and more especially his example were continued in his pupils we had been preceded by schwann henle reichardt peters remach i met as fellow students e dubois raymond verschau bruck ludwig troba j meyer lieberkun hallmann we were succeeded by a von graffe w busch max schulze a schneider microscopic and pathological anatomy the study of organic types physiology experimental pathology and therapeutics ophthalmology developed themselves in germany under the influence of this powerful impulse far beyond the standard of rival adjacent countries this was helped by the labors of those of similar tendencies among muller's contemporaries among whom the three brothers weber of leipzig must first of all be mentioned 
who have built solid foundations in the mechanism of the circulation of the muscles of the joints and of the ear the attack was made wherever a way could be perceived of understanding one of the vital processes it was assumed that they could be understood and success was justified in this assumption a delicate and copious technical apparatus has been developed in the fields of microscopy of physiological chemistry and of vivisection the latter greatly facilitated more particularly by the use of anaesthetic ether and of the paralyzing curara by which a number of deep problems became open to attack which to our generation seemed hopeless the thermometer the ophthalmoscope the auricular speculum the laryngoscope nervous irritation on the living body opened out to the physician possibilities of delicate and yet certain diagnosis where there seemed to be absolute darkness the continually increasing number of proved parasitical organisms substitute tangible objects for mystical entities and teach the surgeon to forestall the fearfully subtle diseases of decomposition end of section fourteen